It's really good to be here. It's my joy to preach the last sermon of 2014. You've listened to a lot of sermons this year. This is the last one. Until next week. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to be here. We've only been here as a campus in Shilin for about three months now. And uh, it's been a lot of joy to see, um, just to get to know you guys more and to grow together as a family. And uh, I really pray that today's sermon uh, may lift you guys up and, and really propel you guys forward going into 2015. If you're taking notes, the title of the sermon today is Discerning Your Calling. Discerning Your Calling. Uh, today's going to be more of a, a, I guess like a fireside talk, uh, just more kind of sharing with you guys uh, how God has directed me in my life and then just my heart for you guys as you guys pray into your calling, you pray into your future, you're asking for guidance uh, from the Lord of what to do. Uh, and so I hope you guys can relax, not fall asleep, but really pay attention and, and uh, enjoy, receive uh, what, what the Lord has for you today. Let's open up to Psalm 37, Psalm 37. We're going to look at verses 3 through 9. I think this passage is excellent in regards to calling, in regards to praying into God's plans, uh, looking for God to act in our lives. So Psalm 37, we're going to read to you guys verses 3 through 9. From the ESV, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. You will get what you have been waiting for as you wait on the Lord. Um, when I became the campus pastor along with my wife, Sky here at Shilam, I shared that uh, for our first few sermons, uh, we really wanted to share from our own personal journeys. And so Pastor Sky shared her personal story about uh, her father, her family, her upbringing, preaching on Abba Father. Uh, I've preached on identities. I've preached on uh, Psalm 112, uh, just, just different words that were strong to my heart. And today I want to share with you guys a testimony of how God led me here to Korea. And some of you guys have heard it a number of times from Emmaus, but God wants you to hear it again. So uh, I hope that you guys are blessed. But as you guys listen to this, for me, uh, my way of learning, and I know everybody else is, is different, everybody has their own way of learning, but I learn the most from stories, from stories of people. And so my favorite books of the Bible are actually First and Second Samuel. Uh, I love the Kings, the Chronicles, uh, because there's a lot of stories of people doing foolish things and learning and then doing great things and, and learning from that as well. That's what I really, really get from. And so I hope that this testimony will challenge you guys and encourage you guys. Uh, my story is that I grew up in Northern Virginia and uh, I accepted Christ when I was in high school. I was raised in the church, but it was really my junior year of high school, right before my junior year, that I committed my life to the Lord at a camp. 
But my growth with the Lord was pretty slow. And I went to Virginia Tech and began to study engineering back in 2000, the year 2000. I started studying. And uh, I gradually grew with the Lord. And if you guys listened to my last sermon, Promises for God's People, at the beginning at Virginia Tech, my time in the Word, my prayer life with God was very, very weak. I was getting very little out of it with the Lord. But as time passed, as, as I learned different healthy disciplines, as I learned to rely on the Holy Spirit, as I learned, was taught how to pray, my relationship with God really began to grow. Now, if you had asked me what my calling for my life was when I was 18, I would have said, I don't know. But my dad says that I would be a really good engineer because I'm good at math. And so I think my calling for my life is to be an engineer. That's what I would have told you very honestly. I didn't even know what an engineer was, honestly, when I went to Virginia Tech. Uh, I just obeyed my dad and, and took up that degree, and I studied it. Well, as I was at Virginia Tech, I began to really grow with the Lord, and I began to surrender myself to him. I began to seek his will for my summer, for the next semester. God, you know, do, what, do you want me to lead in the fellowship? God, do you want me to go on a missions trip? God, who do you want me to spend time with? How do you want me to grow? And as I delighted myself in him, what happened was God began to peel away false desires that were covering my heart. You see, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of my heart when I was 18, when I was 20 years old, they were, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to get a really good job, I'm going to have a nice house, I'm going to have a nice car, I will have a good church, a good family, and I will live at peace in Virginia, not too far from my family. It was the desire of my heart. It was very commercialized. The nice house, you know, the nice car, American dream. All right, where did I get those desires from? I got those desires from stories I had read, from commercials that I had watched, from movies that I had watched, from, from just hearing about the American dream. That was supposed to be contentment to me. But as I began to grow with the Lord, I began to realize, man, a, a really nice salary isn't that important to me. A really nice house isn't that important to me. A really nice car isn't that important to me. You know, these things, I, I began to realize that, no, this, this isn't what truly satisfies. And God began to reveal deep underneath all that materialism, deep underneath all that stuff that the world had thrown on me, desires within me that I didn't know I had. He's still revealing those to me today. You see, if you had asked me if I wanted to be a missionary when I was 18, I would have said, no, that's crazy. I like America. I like my air conditioning. I, I like, you know, my, my big roads and, and all that. I like my food. Okay, I would have said not a chance, but as I grew with the Lord, he began to reveal that those things weren't so meaningful to me. And I began to realize that I had a heart for Asia. Where in Asia? I didn't really know. I just knew that God was giving me a heart for the continent of Asia. And he was giving me a heart for being a missionary or for working abroad. What had happened was I began to read books on missionaries when I was a second year, a third year, a fourth year. And they began to kindle a flame in my heart that I never thought I would ever have. But when I would read these books, and I would read other Christian books, and I'll be honest, I just wasn't getting much out of them. But then I'd read this story of, of this you know, crazy missionary that you know, did crazy things in the Soviet Union. And I would just like, ooh, like I would get exhilarated. I would, oh, man, that, that's, that's really exciting. And I would find myself interested in books on China. It's kind of like the default country of Asia, you know, China. I have a heart for Asia. I guess it's China. And uh, I, I began to read books on China. 
And uh, I, I felt like God was calling me to Asia. My problem was, was that my parents did not have this transformation of, of heart. They're strong Christians, but their dream for my life was still the same as when I was 18. It was, you, you worked really hard for this degree. You're going to use this degree. You're going to get a good job, and you're not going to live too far from us. So when I started sharing this heart for being a missionary, they were like, no, 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 no. Uh, we, don't, we don't approve of this. You've worked too hard for this degree. This is a really good degree. You need to use it. Okay? And so I went to my last year of college with this conundrum of, God, you're giving me this heart to be a missionary, and I know this is from you because three years ago I would have been kicking and screaming if you said I would be a missionary. So I know this is from you, but, God, I really want to honor my parents, and I want their blessing. I don't want to go without their blessing. And so going into my last year of college, uh, I began to pray and fast that, one, God would guide me very clearly to where he wanted me to go. And that, two, God would guide my parents with me. So that just as God was able to change my heart while I was at college, the Holy Spirit was able to work in me. I was believing that the Holy Spirit could do the same work in my parents. Okay, because they, they were, you know, true Christians. They, they really loved the Lord. So I was believing God would speak to them. And uh, before, my, before the beginning of that last year, I took a piece of paper and I wrote out like, I think it was 12 or 15 different career options. A number of them were just countries, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Japan, Taiwan, China, engineering abroad, engineering in the States, seminary, uh, college fellowship. Uh, I, I thought that I was called to college ministry. And so I thought I'd be doing college ministry either in, in America or, or in Asia. So I wrote down a lot of different things. And I began praying and asking, God, guide me with clarity. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And fasting had already been a, a big discipline that had grown in me in college. And so during my last year, it was very easy for me to just be fasting, praying, asking God, guide me and guide my parents with me. And what ended up happening was during that fall semester uh, in America, you start fall semester, you end spring semester, and then you graduate. So during that fall semester, God led me to cross off different things on the list. And uh, he did it in different ways. Just I'd be reading up on a country and, and I would feel like this is this is not it. Like I would feel a check in my spirit. Uh, I'd be praying about seminary and I just felt like a strong like, no, that this is not it. And and so I was crossing things off, but I wasn't feeling led anywhere. And I remember going home during the, the Christmas holiday and my dad said, John Michael, when you graduate, you need to get a job immediately. Because you're going to be on your own. We're not going to be supporting you. If you have to live with a family, you're going to be paying rent. You're going to be paying for, it, for your food. So I go, okay, Dad. I knew he was being a good father and doing this. He didn't want me to be a mama's boy. He didn't want me to be just a leech on the family. He wanted me to have initiative. He wanted me to get a good job. He wanted me to move forward. But I could tell, like, his heart for missions, like, uh, there's, there's nothing going on here. It's, you're getting a job. All right, the moment you graduate in May. So, you know, I just kind of kept it in my heart. I, I went back to Virginia Tech, and I continued to pray and fast through that spring semester. And I did a very extended fast uh, at one point, just really lifting up my future to the Lord. I, I did a 10-day water fast, just drinking water for 10 days straight. And uh, I thought that, all right, 10 days, I'm going to get like an angelic encounter. Like, you know, I know by like day 10, I'm going to be in my bed, like, you know, laying there and suddenly God's going to show up and be like, this is the way, walk in it. You know, that's what I was praying for. And I'll tell you, during those 10 days, I, I got nothing. I got, I got zilch. Um, it, I knew it was good. 
I knew God was blessing it, and I do not recommend doing a 10-day water fast unless God has set it apart in advance, all right, and you've gotten approved by, by your spiritual leaders. Uh, but that was something God had put on my heart years earlier in college. That during my last semester, I would do an extended fast. And, uh, and so I did it, and I still had nothing. And I would pray, and I would listen, God, where do you want me to go? And I was getting nothing at all. And he was just leading me to cross country after country off the list, to cross different things on the list. Korea was on the list, too. I was led to cross that one off. I'm not going to Korea. I'd been to Korea. I didn't like Korea. I did not want to go to Korea. It was easy for me to cross that one off. Um, and the last thing that was on my list was Japan. And uh, I had met a missionary in Japan over that, that winter holiday and uh, heard about his ministry in Nagoya. And so I applied for it to help uh, serve at a Christian university there. And uh, I got accepted. And so I thought, oh, I guess this is the Lord's will. But I, the only thing God was speaking to me, the only thing I could get from the Lord was wait to commit to anything until the end of 2005. So I was graduating May 2005, but I felt God saying, wait till the end of 2005. Take some time to spend with your family before you go anywhere. And so I let that Japanese mission uh, know that, okay, I'm interested in this. I'm going to do the training in the summer. Um, I want to go, but I can't commit until January. And they said, that's fine. That's okay. And uh, I remember going home during my spring break, and my dad's heart was starting to open. And basically, he was at the point where he, he had been troubled by my heart for missionary, being a missionary. So he had talked to a lot of different successful people, and they said that getting experience abroad is good for your son. That his degree is still good for two years, okay, after he graduates. Whoa, some of you guys, your degree is gone, but uh, it's okay. Uh, it's still good for two years. And, and uh, that, you know, let him go. Let him get experience. It'll be good for his resume. It'll be good for his character. And then he'll, he can come back and he'll get a good job. So my dad told me during that break, he said, okay, you can go wherever you want for one year. And then you're going to come back and you're going to get that job. Okay. And, and you're going to work. And I was like, okay, well, God's kind of moving him like this. That's good. But by the time I graduated in May, that was as far as he had come. And my mom as well. And for me, I had no clear guidance about my future. I had prayed and fasted throughout that whole year. And I had prayed and fasted for previous years as well into this. But it was really during that last year, concentrated prayer, concentrated fasting. I was expecting God to just show up, you know, and something, something awesome to happen for him to reveal his will to me. I was getting nothing. And, uh, and so I, I remember I, I came home and uh, I, I just had this discontentment in my heart that I didn't have clarity about anything. I committed to Japan, but even for that, I, I wasn't sure. And so uh, I told my parents that, hey, I, I won't be eating dinner with a family on, on, Thursday, on Thursdays. And uh, they said, oh, well, you know, why, why not? And I said, well, Thursdays is my fasting day. Uh, that's, that's just the day I fast. And they were kind of taken aback because fasting wasn't a discipline that was taught in my home church or, or by my family. And so they were like, well, what are you fasting for? And I said, well, for my future, I'm really trying to pray and discern God's will for, for my future. And they were just surprised that I was fasting once a week, that I was doing all this. And, and they paused for a moment. And then my mom looked at me and she said, John Michael, your future is really important to us as well. So we want to fast with you. And I was just like, oh, oh my, like, oh, okay. And uh, great. And so I remember I graduated, I came back. We fasted that Thursday after I graduated. 
The next day, my dad came up to me after he got off of work. He came home and he said, John Michael, I had the weirdest dream last night. I had this dream that you were at Pastor Che's orphanage in South Korea. I'm like, what? Okay, Pastor Che, this guy, his brother, who's also Pastor Che, uh, is the, the Korean pastor of our church in Northern Virginia. So we have a, an American congregation that meets in the morning, English service. And then in the afternoon, the Korean church comes in. And they have their own little Korean service. So Pastor Han Che, who's that, the pastor of that church, his brother, Pastor Yun Che, from Korea, had come in like 1986. Okay, a long time ago before many of you were born. And, and had just shared about his work in South Korea, including his orphanage. And my dad met him. All right, so that was about 20 years before. My dad had, had, this, had met him. My dad had never been outside of the country except for his honeymoon to Jamaica. He had never been out of the country. He, would, he wouldn't know a Korean from a Chinese, from a Japanese, from a Filipino. He wouldn't know, okay, um, at, at least at that point. Uh, he just, he'd never, never been. And so to have this dream, it was bizarre. Also bizarre was I didn't like children and I didn't like Korea. And so it was like an orphanage in Korea. And we just laughed about it. What a crazy dream. We, we thought it was the silliest thing. And meanwhile, my mom was in the kitchen, like, listening, and she had kind of this look, like, we just fasted. Like, that's kind of weird. But for us guys, we were a little dense. We, we just didn't get it. And, uh, you know, that was that. And we continued to pray and, and fast. And a few weeks later, I went on that training for Japan. And it was in North Carolina. It was with, like, all these different people being sent out across the world. And during that retreat or during that missions training time, I felt a strong check in my spirit that I'm not supposed to go with this group. I'm not called to Japan. And my parents had been praying for me that I would either know for sure that this is Japan or for sure not. That there wouldn't just be this, I'm going to just commit to it because I don't know what I'm doing. But that God would give that clarity. And he did. And so at the end of that training, I had to tell my supervisor, I'm so sorry, I, I got to pull out. They were understanding. So I went home and I took my sheet of paper that had the list and I crossed off the last thing. And all I had left was nothing. It was all crossed off. And so I lifted it up to the Lord. I really did. And I said, God, if you want me to be unemployed for your glory, I will do it. But I pray that you will just guide me where you want me to go. Just waiting on the Lord. And so while I was waiting, I knew that God was saying, don't commit to anything until the end of 2005. And so I began to work construction. You guys know about that, how I work construction for a season it's just six in the morning to two in the afternoon, hard hat, laying wires, you know, wiring up a church, wiring up a school, doing, doing different things like that. Just waiting on God. Well, a month after that first dream, my dad had a second dream. I didn't know this about my dad, but he's the type of guy when his head hits the pillow, he's out. And he wakes up and there's no dreams. There's no like trouble or anything like that. I mean, I, and I've seen him fall asleep. It's just I, I wish I had that. Just eyes closed and he's gone. And then, then he wakes up. So to have uh, this, this dream, to even have a dream, is kind of surprising for him. Well, this second dream, it was a nightmare. And uh, it really shook him up. And he woke up in the middle of the night from, from this nightmare. Middle of the night for him, I think, was like 1.30 or 2, uh, which is like your bedtime. But uh, he, he woke up and he got out of bed and he went downstairs. And, and he was sitting at the kitchen table. And he was just shaking. God, why did you give me this dream? And he opened up his Bible and he was praying. And God spoke very clearly to my dad in that moment. And God said to my dad, my dad's name is Pete. He said, Pete, 
I speak in dreams. Pay attention. And my dad, I mean, it was like, it was strong. My, my dad hearing this and he was shaken, you know, to the core. The only dream that he could think of was me in South Korea at this orphanage. And so he got up the next morning and he, and he came to me and this time he's more shaken. He said, look, I had this second dream. I woke up in the middle of the night. This is what God told me. We got to find out what's going on here. Well, as he's telling it to me, it clicked in my head what had been going on these previous weeks. You see, uh, when I was in college, I had a prayer journal. And before every semester, I would write down the names of people dear to me. And I would pray for them every day throughout the semester. And sometimes God would give me a specific request for a person. I would write it next to their name in the journal. And I would pray that specific request each day for that person. Well, right after I graduated, before I even told my family about fasting, I came home and I, I made a new entry in my journal. And I wrote down names. And I wrote down my dad. Now, I wrote down dad, and I began to pray for him, and a verse came in my, in my heart. And I rarely ever got verses for people. Uh, and this was also when I was being introduced to the charismatic, being introduced to the, the power of the Holy Spirit. The verse was Joel 2.28. And uh, I, I kind of felt it, and I looked it up, and it says, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on old people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And I was like, oh, this is an awesome verse. And, and I'm like, okay, how does it apply to my dad? And I kept praying and waiting for God to speak to me. And it was just like silence. It's like, that's all I got, Joel 2.28. And so I'm like, all right, I got to use my own logic. What, what is this? It says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. And I'm like, well, I call my dad my old man. Right, that's something we do you know, in America. He's my old man. So I'll pray that he dreams dreams. And I wrote it in my journal, dreams dreams walks in your spirit. And I began praying that from that day forward that my dad would dream dreams. And I didn't know what that meant, honestly. I'd never prayed for someone to dream dreams. I'd, I'd never really paid that much attention to dreams. But hey, it's in the Bible. I'm going to pray for it. It was about five days later, my dad had that first dream. A month later, my dad had the second dream, and God spoke to him clearly, I speak in dreams. If you need proof of this, just read the first two chapters of Matthew. God speaks to Joseph in a dream, speaks to Mary in a dream, speaks to the wise men in a dream, speaks to the shepherds. Okay, he speaks in dreams. And so I told my dad that, Dad, I've been praying for God to speak to you in dreams. And so he's like, okay, we got to find Pastor Chase's contact, and we got, we got to find out what's going on here. And so uh, I, I found his email address. Pastor Chase is an older man. He can't speak English very well, but he's been in Korea for a long time. And I emailed him and I said, hello, Pastor Che. My name is John Michael Becker. Uh, I attend the church where your brother uh, is the pastor for the Korean side. Uh, I am a systems engineer. Um, I'm 22. I, I can't speak any Korean. Can I be of any help at your orphanage? That's what I wrote. Like made no sense, you know. And, and uh, I was just like, this is, so, this is so dumb. But okay. And, and I sent it and I waited. And, you know, Pastor Che, is, he is an older gentleman, and, and, you know, just the fact that he uses email is, is amazing. But it, it did take a month for him to reply. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm just working, working, and wondering, and waiting. He finally replies a month later, and it was like one line, and it said, um, we'll see. I'll talk to my staff. Like, that's it. And I'm like, okay, you know, and, and I just continue to pray. So July passed, August passed, September passed. I'm just working construction. I'm just waiting on the Lord. And uh, towards the end of September, I remember one night I had had my prayer time and I was getting, uh, getting in bed. 
And I was laying there in bed and I was thinking about Korea. What if this really happened? What if I was suddenly to go to Korea alone by myself, no missions team, which is like a big no-no for me. Like you, you need to go with people. You don't go alone. I would be going alone, being immersed in an orphanage where they can't speak any English and I can't speak any Korean, living with like 90 kids, okay, in South Korea, living off of support without any, any you know, church or any help. Would I be able to make it? Would it be worth it? Do I really want to do this? And I remember laying there thinking about all the faith that it would require to do this. And, and uh, in that moment, God's peace just fell on me. And his peace, just it's grace. It's not something that we can earn. It's just peace. It's a gift. And, and it fell on me. And those verses like Hebrews 13, 5, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The end of the Great Commission. Surely I'm with you always, even now to the very end of the age. They just resonated in my heart. And I remember all the times I've been singing passionately, Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I give my life to you. To the ends of the earth, you know, I will follow you. And I'd sang it so passionately. And now I was being like, really? You know, did you mean those words? And I felt a yes in my spirit. And I said, okay, God, if Pastor Che emails me tomorrow and says, go to Korea, I will go. I will, I'll just trust in you that you'll provide all my needs and that I'll be safe. And, uh, and I felt that. And that was a big turning moment for me at the end of September. Well, a week later, my mom got an email from a friend of hers from, from the Midwest. And uh, this is a lady that I, I didn't really know, but it was my mom's friend. And uh, this friend of hers asked my mom, how's John Michael doing? And my mom replied, well, he's working construction right now. We're not sure about his future. He might do engineering. He might do missions work. You know, we're, we're praying about it. Well, the lady replied back and said, well, I've been praying, and uh, I have this sum of money that uh, has just been, been left over from, like, these different things. And I've been praying what to do with this money, and God told me very clearly to give this money to missions. So I continued to pray, okay, what missions group, what country, what missionary, who should I give this money to? And God told me very clearly, I'm to give it to your son, John Michael. So beginning in December, I'll be giving your son, uh, I'll be giving John Michael $1,500 a month for an entire year to wherever God leads him. And, uh, you know, my mom is just like stunned. She calls me, you know, I come in. Nothing's confirmed about Korea. There's no support letter. There's no, this is what I'm doing with my life. Nothing like that. I'm just working construction. And this lady from, you know, thousands of miles away is suddenly like, I'm going to give you $18,000. And my mom is just shocked. And she looks at me and she says, John Michael, if Korea doesn't work out, you better go somewhere. (laughs) This lady's giving you all this money. And and it it was funny to me when she said that. But for my mom, it was very like, this is God. Like, you you need to obey the Lord. And you know what was cool was it wasn't my friend that that gave me this money. It was this lady that I barely even knew. It was my mom's friend, a friend that my mom trusted a lot, a lady that was very prayerful. So my mom, her heart was fully for this now. Well, within that month of October, my dad had two more vivid dreams of me in the orphanage. He had one dream of me teaching English. uh, So the first dream was me with Pastor Che, and there's just kids running around us. It was just like a simple dream. The second dream was a nightmare. Then months later in October, the third dream was of me moving into the home and my apartment, you know, where I'd be living in the home. And he's like, hey, you know, they're not going to have hot water all the time. You know, he's giving me like all these details. And he's just amazed because he's never been to Korea. He's never been, you know, to this place. He's giving me details about the home. And then the fourth dream was of me teaching English to the children and, and of me, you know, with just different children. And I mean, I can't tell you the exact details. It was his dreams. 
But he was just shocked that God was showing him these things. And so it got to the point where in mid-October of that year, still hadn't heard from Pastor Che. I just had that one-line email in August. But mid, mid-October, my family gathers, my two sisters, my brother-in-law, and my parents, and they all share their heart. And there's no missionaries in my family. So, I mean, this is kind of scary to send your, your son, to send your family member across the Pacific. I mean, a lot of you guys are Asian, so this isn't that scary for you. But, you know, for, for my family, you know, Korea is the great unknown. And, uh, and so... They, they all shared their heart, their concerns, but what they all said was to serve the orphans is a good thing. And this is so clear that God is in this. And so, John Michael, we, we want to bless you. This is good. And uh, they, they put me in the middle, and my, I remember my dad told me, he said, John Michael, as we're blessing you to go and to do the Lord's work, I want you to know that we are no longer your responsibility. And that if anything happens to us here in America, you entrust us to the Lord. Because we're entrusting you to God, and you're meant to go and do God's work. And they lay their hands on me, and they pray for me, and they bless me. It took a long time for this to come around. But then it, it started to happen very quickly. And it was God working in their hearts. I never got a single dream about Korea. I never got a single, like, oh, Korea, like excitement or anything like that. It was just God speaking to my dad and God speaking through my mom's friend. I believe it was one day or two days later after my parents blessed me, Pastor Che finally responded. And he said, I want you to come out. If you could come out right after Christmas, that would be great. The end of 2005. So I bought my plane ticket that day. Uh, You know, I I worked a little bit longer until late November. And then uh, I stopped working construction, just spent some time with family. Had my last Christmas with a family uh, in 2005. And then I flew out December 29th, 2005. Uh, so it'll be nine years tomorrow uh, that I've been here in Korea. I came to Korea. Um, well, I got to share this. Uh, before I came to Korea, God continued to speak to my dad. He still does to this day about my future. Not all the time, but sporadically. My dad would get clear visions or just clear stirrings in his heart or clear dreams. And what God was speaking to my dad was he said, John Michael, I really feel that Korea is going to be your home country that this orphanage is going to be your place of rest. But this is not the end of your calling. And that in time, God's going to begin to send you to different places. And you're going to go and you're going to do his work, and then you're going to come back and you're going to recuperate. You're going to, you're going to you know, get more people. You're going to get worked up, and then you're going to go back out again. And as he was sharing that with me, North Korea just stirred in my heart. And all I knew about North Korea was from this little missions book that I had read, like two pages on North Korea, and I knew it was a very oppressed country. That was about all I knew. But I knew it was closed, and I knew it needed Jesus. And what I've sensed in my heart was South Korea was a stepping stone. It's not the end game. What happens when I go to South Korea? I've got to learn the language. I've got to learn the culture. I've got to learn to live as a missionary. I've got to learn the orphan's heart, how to love the orphans. I've got to build a ministry. Okay, this is all important stuff, but it's not exhausting things. Because Korea, as you guys know, isn't, isn't the hardest country uh, in the world. But as I would get built up then I would be prepared for the greater calling, okay, for the harder route. And I knew in my spirit, if God had sent me to some really hard country right away, I would have collapsed. It would have been too much. But God was preparing me. So that was what was resonating in my heart. And what happened also was I, was, I rem- remembered some dreams that I had in 2003. It was during my third year uh, in college, late 2002, early 2003. I guess it was late 2002. I'd gone on short-term missions, and I'd been really blessed by the team that I was with. 
And uh, more than the missions, it was to Korea. I didn't enjoy Korea. I lost 12 pounds in like three weeks. I couldn't eat the food. I, you know, it, it was hard. But the team, we prayed a lot. And, and it was just so powerful every night as we prayed. And I wanted that family. And I would daydream at night as I would go to sleep about like, wow, what if I, you know, went to some place in like Asia with like a group of 10 people and we were just all out for the Lord. Every night we would gather, we would pray just passionately during the day. We would serve and work in the area. And then soon that area would start to be one for the gospel. And we get more family members in there praying together. And then some of us will go on to the next place. And we'll just rely on the Lord and we'll just be so prayerful and we'll be so supportive of one another, just like a strong family. And those thoughts excited me. I'll tell you guys, it just excited me. The thought of that type of fellowship, that type of faith, that type of life. It just seems so adventurous, so awesome. But you know what happened in 2002, 2003? I had those for a few weeks and then doubt started to creep in. And I thought, man, I, I can't speak a foreign language. I, I couldn't even eat the food when I was in Korea. How am I going to be able to survive in another country? How am I, where am I going to get this money? How, how am I going to be able to do this? No, I'm just meant to live in America. I'm just meant to, to just, you know, do this. And I, I shelved it all. And God reminded me of those desires as I was going to Korea at the end of 2005. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. It might not be exactly what you're picturing, but if you have a dream within you, if you have something that stirs within you that's pure, Okay, that isn't this, I want to be the, the greatest singer of all so that people will worship me. You know, that, no, that's, not, that's not from God, okay? But if there is a desire in you that's pure, like, I, man, I, I want to go and, and release, you know, green energy in Africa. You know, I, I have this desire to, to bring water, you know, to people in Pakistan. I, I have this, this, this stirring in my heart to start an NGO, you know, in Canada that's going to support people. That's all selfless. And if it's selfless, it's, it's from the Lord, okay? And so the Lord's giving you those seeds or, or those desires. You need to pray into them. And you can't just shelve it like I did. You got to give it to the Lord. It might take a lot of time, okay? But, but God, he gives you those things for a reason. They're seeds that are planted that need to be fostered, that need to be cared for. So I came to Korea uh, at the end of 2005. I was living with 88 kids. Uh, immersed with them, and uh, I just just gradually was got acclimated. I started Jerusalem ministry in 2006. Uh, my first few years were, were hard. It was just transition. It was getting used to this nation. But I'll tell you this, I, I did not like kids, even on the plane as I was going to Korea, knowing I'm going to live with 88 children. Uh, I knew that, but I also knew that it's God who gives us love. And I said, God, I, I need love for these children, and I pray that you open my heart, and I pray you open my heart for Korea. I really don't like rice. I really don't like kimchi. Uh, you know, God, help me be able to eat this food. And I'll tell you, every night, every night in that orphanage, I would sit Indian style at the little table with the kids, and I would look at the, the myrchi, the little anchovies, and I would pray and say, God, give me grace to eat this food. And I, and I ate it, you know. And God's given me grace. Now I enjoy Korean food. My wife makes great kimchi jjigae, okay. It's gotten a lot better. But that's God. He'll take care of you. All right, you might go through some rough patches, but you're being tested and you're being strengthened. And in the end, you will have zero regrets if you go his way. You will have zero regrets. So my first few years were just a transition to Korea. My heart for North Korea, I thought that was like the end game. You know, that's the calling. I'm just here temporarily at this orphanage. And that was a wrong spirit to have. This like, oh, this is just temporary. Once I move on, that's going to be the great thing. 
And God corrected me very quickly of that. And he said, these children are just as dear to me as the children of North Korea. You love them the same. You be faithful the same. You don't wait for some calling that's going to make everything right. Okay, God convicted me very strongly of that. Then in 2009, I attended a conference for North Korea. And uh, a lot of defectors spoke. It was a very small uh, conference uh, on an island near the border of North Korea. And, um, man, God wrecked me at that conference. I couldn't understand much. They didn't have translation. Uh, so uh, Pastor G was there. She translated now and then. But it was like sermons nonstop. And so at times, I'd just get tired. I'd be like, I'd just, just stop. And I would sit there, and God told me, read Isaiah 61. Memorize it. And I began to memorize all of Isaiah 61. As I did that, God began to release revelations for North Korea through it, verse by verse, revelations for Korea. And God began to, to stir in my heart. And there was this wild guy named Robert Park uh, that had a big heart for North Korea. And I got connected with him. And he said, we got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray. I mean, he was like really like intense. And so we began praying once a week uh, on Fridays early in 2009. He was only with us for about a month and a half. And then he disappeared. Later that Christmas, uh, he was found in North Korea. And uh, he was arrested. And he was one of the first people released in North Korea. He just walked in with a sign trying to preach the gospel of Kim Jong-il. I mean, he was... He was a little bit too much uh, into it. But I kept with that prayer meeting. And we've been praying ever since. And I'll tell you, it's that prayer meeting, that fire that I had as I came to Korea was very small. Then in 2009, that flame suddenly erupted for Korea. God was releasing. It's not just North Korea. It's the whole peninsula. But I needed those prayer meetings to keep the flame going. Okay? You light a little candle, you got a little flame, it's going to go out at some point. You light a huge bonfire, and it could be really awesome, but probably within an hour, unless you're stoking it, unless you're putting fresh wood on it, it's gone. Okay? The fire for your calling has to be stewarded. When you are trying to seek discernment for your calling, you've got to ask God, God, what does my heart burn for? What does your heart burn for? And when you start to get that fire, it's only going to be like a little candle. And you can't be discouraged. you just got to steward that. And you've got to ask, God, give me more opportunities for this fire to grow. Help me meet some people with this like heart. God, help me team up with some people that are already doing this work so I can taste a little bit more. God, give me some books or some literature. Or, or God, just, just guide me in this. You've got to ask. If you don't ask, silence is foolishness. It really is foolishness. If you don't ask, it's going to die. The fire is going to die and you'll think, oh, it was never me. I never had that fire. Okay, but if you ask God to help kindle it, it's going to grow and it's going to get to the point where it's a furnace. And if you have a furnace and the fire in there has been kindled really well, that fire will last a long time. And the heat from that furnace is far more intense than just some little bonfire. Okay, I don't know if you guys have ever had a wood stove or a furnace. It's ridiculous. When you get that thing going, okay, and you've been working it for a long time, it heats the whole house really strongly and it lasts a long time. That's what you need. You got to stoke that fire. And I'll tell you guys, if you have no fire for nothing, that is your opportunity to pray and ask God, reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. You see, each and every one of you are different. You're not all called to be missionaries. That's not the end calling, okay? My calling, that's my story. You're not meant to have my story. Some of you might have a similar calling, Okay, but God's going to write a different story for you, and he's going to pull you in in a different way. Some of you, are, you know, have, may have a fire for justice. Police officers, the best police officers, have a fire for justice. So they have a fire for what they're doing, and they're good at what they do. 
But police officers that have no fire for justice, these are the ones that you read about in the news that are just ruining it for everyone else. Firefighters, lawyers have a heart for the law, for, for justice, for righteousness. Teachers have a heart for children, okay, for, for them to learn, for it to be passed along. Businessmen have a heart for stewarding finances, helping nations. Okay, if you have the fire from God, you don't have to be a missionary or a pastor to be used by him. He will use you in ridiculous ways. Joseph was not a pastor or a missionary. Daniel was not a pastor or a missionary. Mordecai was not a pastor or a missionary. David was not a pastor or a missionary. These mighty men in the Bible Some of them were shepherds. Some of them were musicians. Some of them were soldiers. Okay. They had different professions, but they knew God's calling on it. They had gotten God's fire for it. They had a responsibility. This isn't just for my contentment. This is to bless mankind. And so they were good at what they did. You see, the fire that you get for your calling, and this is how you're able to discern what your calling is, is is this selfishness? Is this just, man, I want what I want so that I can be happy and I can be content? Because if it is, you will never achieve happiness. You could get that dream job and you'll find, man, it doesn't last. We were watching the music awards uh, for Korea, Mama, uh, the, the music awards. And it was interesting because Big Bang used to be the huge group here in Korea. I mean, I remember 2008, 2009, it was just Big Bang everywhere. And they're slowly getting older. All right, to the point where this year it was just two of the singers that were there, G Dragon and Taeyong, and they, and they did their, their, their songs. But now the group that everybody loves, that all my kids talk about, like they used to talk about Big Bang, it's XO. XO, 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 you know, XO. They talk about it. And so we were watching that show, and, and Big Bang had just performed. They're sitting down, just the two musicians, and two singers, and then XO gets like, you know, artist of the year. They get like all the awards, and they're going up, and the fans are going nuts. And then they show G-Dragon. And then they show Taeyong. And they're just kind of like watching. And you can know what's going on in their mind. I used to have that. My time is passing. i got to hold on all I can. And so you see singers getting crazy surgery. You see them doing whatever they can to stay in the limelight. Releasing videos they shouldn't be releasing. Because their calling is all about themselves. Michael Jordan had a fire for basketball. He was an amazing basketball player. He had an anointing, a gift for basketball. All right, and I've preached on or shared on anointing on my blog before. Anointing is grace. It's a grace. We all have grace, whether we're Christian or not. He had it, and he did it well, but he didn't do it for the glory of God. And now, you know, I don't think he's as content. And when you, you look at these older basketball players and they see the younger players, almost all of them will always criticize. Oh, we were so much better in our day. Oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. Their dream, their calling was all wrapped up in themselves. And now as they're getting older, they're realizing just dust to dust, I'm fading away. But when you're calling, when you experience a fire for people that's love, for your students that you're teaching, for your coworkers, even as you're studying and God is stirring in you for the future, okay, why are you getting this degree? Is it just to make money? You know, money is important, but what, is the, what are you going to use that money for? Just for a house and, and for a family and for a pet? You know, what, what, what's it for? Okay, and as you pray into that and God begins to release a fire in you that, man, you know, I, I look at, at the, the business mountain and it's just, it's falling to the enemy and the enemy is just hoarding all this wealth. I need to steward and disciple people on the business mountain. I need to get with people and pray with them. We got to steward this fire. If you will do that, God will bless you tremendously and you will begin to walk into that calling. 
Because you are the light of the world. In order for you to be the light of the world, it's God's presence within you, his fire within you. But if you got a fire for nothing, you got nothing to reveal. But if you have a fire for something, that's how God's going to reveal himself through you. If I told all of you right now to close your eyes, now, who is Jesus to you? Okay, and you all close your eyes. Some of you will see Jesus as a shepherd. Some of you, it's just like, you know, you see just the pictures. But I would ask, who is God really to you? Some of you will see Jesus as a mighty warrior. Some of you will see him as a rider on a white horse. Some of you will see him teaching. Okay, some of you will see him just breaking through the temple and tossing over, over tables and releasing justice. Some of you will see him making sacrifice. You'll see him reaching out to the prostitute. Who is Jesus to you is often who Jesus, how you will reveal Jesus to this world. We each get a different picture of God. See, God is infinite in glory. We have all eternity to look at him and all eternity plus eternity will never give us enough time to see everything about God. He's designed you with a specific personality, specific character, specific giftings, okay, to reveal himself through you. And there's going to be certain parts of the scripture. I told you, I, I love First Samuel, Second Samuel. Other people I know hate those books. Okay, I mean, it's not that they hate it, but it's just, you know, I don't get much out of that. I love Romans. Okay, oh, I love, I love Psalms. I'm a worshiper. Well, I wonder how you're supposed to reveal God. Probably through worship. All right. And that can be a clue to you for your calling. Who is Jesus to you? How is God revealing himself to you? And as you get that, you got to ask God, show me more of yourself. God, give me a fire to reveal you to the people around me. God, release this. Let it burn deeper within me. A lot of you guys at our retreat, we had a leadership retreat a month and a half ago, and the fire of God was very strong. And uh, people were, were getting touched. Some of them had never been touched like that before. I mean, there was people just weeping really hard, just, just getting overwhelmed by the power of God. And what had happened was I was releasing different altar calls for calling. First one was Malaysia. I called out the Malaysians, and I had them calm down. We're going to pray for Malaysia. And many of them began to just weep. Under the power of God. Now, how often they had prayed for the country before, I don't know. But God was revealing right there that they have a calling for their country. That there is something there. That that this isn't just random. This person that wasn't crying before, suddenly weeping and on the ground, just, just crying so hard. This is God. This isn't chance. And this wasn't, I didn't yell out South Africa. I yelled out Malaysia and they were getting hit. They got to steward that fire. I call that arts and entertainment. People came up there and some of them were just really getting hit. This is such a heavy burden on their heart. Okay, that's a fire of God. That's God's heart and that needs to be stewarded. That can't be ignored. God's touching you for a reason. So what do you do? You got to pray about it. You got to be faithful in praying about it. And if you have no heart, like, you know, a lot of the teachers got up and, and they'll be honest. Some of the teachers are just like, I don't want to be a teacher. I'm just here because you told me to be here for a teacher. And they're receiving, you know, the fire of God isn't like as strong on some of them as it was for others. Now, not everyone manifests, not everyone does that. But you could tell for some of the teachers, they're like, this isn't my calling. This is a temporary job. Okay. Even in the temporary job, you got to get God's heart for that. I think a lot of people think that once I get this calling, that life will be great. Pastor Christian has hit on this in his sermons about work. That's a complete lie. 
That's foolishness. Nothing of this world will satisfy you. Not some beautiful bride is going to make your life perfect. Not some gorgeous husband that knows all the Korean drama stuff. He's not going to make your life perfect. A million dollars, a hundred million dollars is not going to make your life perfect. Think about this. The Apostle Paul, what was his profession? He was a tent maker. How did he go around? How did he support himself? By making tents. When he went to Greece, they didn't have churches where he could gather and meet with people like in, like in Jerusalem. Okay, they had a lot of pagan temples. So what did he do? Six days a week, he's making tents. This is my calling. I'm an apostle to the nations. I'm making a tent. Would you like to buy this tent? No. Okay, I'm going to make another tent. Then on Sunday, he would go to the marketplace and he would share the gospel. What a calling. I wonder if he was thinking as he was making these tents, I've achieved my calling. This is awesome. I love this. And then when he's jailed and he can't even preach, he's like, I've found my calling. I'm an apostle to the nations standing in this solitary confinement. Your calling is not the source of your happiness. It's walking with God. God's done a lot in my life, guys. And and God's going to do a lot more in my life. But you know, I wouldn't trade my years at Virginia Tech for nothing. I had so many intimate times with the Lord, just praying with him. I did an internship in, in Richmond for six months, working at a fabrication plant, and I was alone most of that time. I would go to work, and I would come home, and I was staying at a friend's house where the family was almost never home. I was like house-sitting. It was this big, empty house, and I would come home, and, and I would make my dinner, and I would eat, I would read the Word, and I would pray, and I would go to sleep. That was all I did. And I want to trade those days for anything. I could be in North Korea right now with two million orphans in front of me and all the resources I need to take care of them. And I wouldn't be like, oh, I've made it. I'm so happy. No. You know what the source of my true joy is? Is Jesus. It's walking with Jesus. It's knowing him. And a lot of people look at the wilderness and they think, oh, the wilderness, you just got to get through it. And then when you get through the wilderness, you'll be at the promised land. And the promised land is, is glorious and it's wonderful. That's, that's, that's a lie. I want to tell you, it's the wilderness where you really meet God. It's the wilderness where you hear his voice. It's the wilderness where he refines your trust. A lot of you guys are like, I want God's calling for my life and God's not responding and I'm just going crazy. I fasted for years. I prayed. I did, I did, it was crazy fast. I did all these wild things, you know, all night prayer, multiple times, just praying all night alone in my room. Asking God to guide me where he wanted me to go. And it took forever in, in my mind before he finally guided me. And if you had asked me when I graduated from May, has God been speaking to you? I would have been like, honestly, all I know is the end of 2005. I had not gotten some powerful revelation during that time. So you guys just need to relax. Even if you don't hear God's voice for your future, know that he hears you. Know that he's with you. Know that he's just wanting to refine you. He's wanting to build your character. Go ahead and work construction. It's just as great as working in North Korea because you're walking with him and he's refining you and and preparing you. The best gold is the gold that's been in the furnace the longest. Because the longer it's in the furnace, the longer it's in that wilderness, the more it's purified of all the pride, of all the fear, of all the insecurity, of all those things. And it comes out, oh, man, this can go anywhere. This is precious. But so many Christians today are just, I want that calling. I want it now. God, even if you're not in this, I'm just going to go. And they do this and they fall apart. And they get disillusioned because they realize my joy really isn't in this. I've had friends 
big heart for North Korea. I love North Korea. They wanted to stop college. Just go serve the North Koreans. And they've done that. And they went and served the North Korean refugees at refugee centers uh, in Asia. And a year later, six months later, burned out. They go home. They never want to serve North Korean again. You see, your joy is not in achieving the calling. Your joy is in walking with God. And as you walk with God and as you get his fire, as you experience his fire within you, that's the greatest thing you could ever ask for. And you ask God, God, help me steward this fire. God, open up opportunities. God, guide me because you are the light. You are the fire that goes before me in the wilderness. And whether it takes 10 years, whether it takes 20 years, whether it takes 40 years, I will be content because I'm walking with you. Abraham waited probably 40 years for Isaac. May have been longer, but Abraham wasn't like, oh God, uh, this stinks. He loved walking with the Lord. God gave him in the end what he was seeking. But I don't think Abraham would have traded anything of those years. I haven't been looking at my notes at all. Uh, I want to I just end with this. I'll just end with this. This is my heart, guys. I, I've shepherded a lot of people here at New Philly. And, um, you know, early in 2009, 2010, we had a lot of people that were just kind of jaded. And, and they would come here, they would get healed and delivered. And God would do a great work in their life. And then they just wouldn't know what to do for their future. And they would just kind of choose at whim. I, I think God, God wants me to go back to my, my home, you know, to my hometown. Because Korea is a little hard, you know, I'm going to bring revival to my home church. And they would share things like that. And, you know, Pastor Christian, myself, not wanting to control, not wanting to do anything, you know, we, we wouldn't feel it in our spirit. Like, oh, yeah, this is good. It was like, this seems out of order. It seems like you're just getting healed and delivered and God's doing a great work. Why are you suddenly leaving? But we would let him go. And these people would leave and they would go back to America or Canada or Australia or wherever and they would fall apart. They couldn't find a job. Their, their church would just fall apart. Some of their churches even closed. And, and that was when we began to learn about sonship. And Pastor Benjamin brought in these teachings and, on sonship and how we really need to look out for each other. And uh, I'll tell you, as I've counseled people, what I've found is that while in Korea, a lot of people experience God or they recommit their life to the Lord for the first time. They get healed and delivered. God does a powerful work for them here at New Philly. But then suddenly they want that calling. Or suddenly they want, I want to move forward with my life. I want to get married, and I'm not finding it right here, so I want to go somewhere else and make this happen. Okay, I've, I've been teaching English. I'm really tired of this. I want to do something else. I don't know what I want to do, but I want to go, and I'm going to make this happen. I think I'm just going to do grad school. I think I'm just going to do grad school. I'll tell you, my, my pet peeve is when people tell me, I think I'm just going to do grad school. <laughs> I, 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 you know... Grad school is very important and it's very good for lawyers, for doctors, okay, for specific professions that require it. But I hate it when people are like, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm just going to go to seminary. What do you do? I don't want you to lead me. Don't go to seminary. Get your life in order first. Start to discern your future. Start to walk with God. Work construction for a bit, okay? You know, look to the Lord. Get a relationship with him because he'll guide you. Don't waste a few years of your life and tens of thousands of dollars for a degree that you're never going to use. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And there have been people that have come to us, that have gotten healed and delivered, that have grown a lot in this church, that have become powerful leaders. 
and they've gotten a calling to go back to America to start up a business or to do to work in a certain area. And they'll share it with us, Pastor Marcus or Pastor Christian or myself or Pastor Caleb, and we'll feel joy in our spirit. We won't want to send them because, oh, man, they mean so much to us. They're dear friends. They're so wonderful. But that joy in our spirit, we know this is God, and we bless you. And we bless them. That's apostolic. To send them forth, we bless them, and they've gone back, and they prospered. They have prospered because they discern the call of God. They fasted. They prayed. They spent time with the Lord and walked with him, and they got it clear. But for all those others that are just complaining, and I just, I just want something better. The grass looks greener over there. That's faithless. That is faithless. The Bible, God was so clear in the Old Testament to Israel. You do not go to Egypt. You do not go to the neighboring lands. You stay where I have set you, and I will provide for you. So whenever you get that mentality of the grass is greener over there, and God hasn't been guiding you, all right, that's, that's faithlessness. you got to pray. You got to discern. And then if God says you're called to go here for this purpose, you share with your spiritual leader about that. And there's that excitement, man. You can go with such a blessing and a confidence to know this is going to be good this next season. But if it's not there, you wait. You wait and you discern your calling. I'm going to invite up the praise team. Come on up. Song of Songs, 8-5. Song of Songs is a book of love. It's a beautiful book. Uh, and it's the relationship between the lover and the beloved and their steps of romance and how they grow so strong together. And by the last chapter, chapter 8, their love is matured greatly. They're so strong. You know how the book ends, verse 5? It's not the last verse of the book, but this is basically where they've gone up to. It says in verse 5, Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? You see, while you're discerning your calling, there isn't some like, oh, I got to figure this out right away. Oh, God's not content with me unless I'm, I'm doing something great for him. God just wants to walk with you. He wants to refine you. He wants to bless you. He wants you at the point where when you're walking, you're leaning your head on him and rest. You're relying on him, his rest his strength. You're not relying on the things of your own heart. You're not going after your own passions. You're secure in him. What I want us to do right now is, um, I'm not saying what you're doing right now is your calling. For some of you who are students, this is a temporary time for you. Others of you that are teaching, maybe it's temporary as well. Uh, but I want us to just close our eyes. Silence is foolishness. You guys got to bring this stuff to the Lord. And right now, I just want you to pray and ask God, God, how do you feel about the work that I'm doing right now? God, how do you feel about this classes? How do you feel if you're teaching about my teaching job, if you're working in a business? God, how do you feel about this? Where is your heart in this? Are you here? Are you with me? Let's just take a moment. And let's listen.